It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. Appreciate everybody tuning in. You give us a ring at 973-667-1960. We'll get to some phone calls a little bit later on in the program. And as a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network brought to you by Investors Bank on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. He's Paul Dottino. I'm Lance Meadow. We are going to continue to preview the NFL draft. Today we'll be focusing on yet another program, which we'll get to here in a second. And then later on we'll get into some of the latest developments regarding the draft and the New York Giants. But right off the top of the show, we welcome in a man who covers North Dakota State football. He's the beat writer for Forum Communications as we tackle Trey Lance and Dylan Radins, none other than Jeff Kolpak. Jeff, you got Lance Meadow, Paul DeTito here on Giants.com, Big Blue Kickoff Live. Greatly appreciate the time today. Hope you and yours are safe and healthy. How's everything on your end? Well, you know, it was 70 degrees last week, guys, and it's snowing today, so I don't know. I was hoping to golf this week, but um, yeah, let's talk football. It's football weather here right now. I was going to say, that's quite the disparity in terms of Mother Nature, so we're hoping for calmer weather that uh, comes to the middle ground a little bit more so than those two extremes. But in all seriousness, let's start with football, as you just mentioned, Jeff, and Trey Lance is an intriguing prospect, and mainly because of the fact that he's really only a one-year starter. He had one start this year because they played in the spring as opposed to the fall, and I was looking up Carson Wentz's numbers, not to say anything, Jeff, that these quarterbacks are identical, but when you look at the fact that Carson played 42 games, he was there for four seasons, there was a lot more to judge as to why the Eagles would take him as opposed to what they have to judge based on Trey Lance. How much do you think that should be a concern regardless of his upside? Yeah, I, I keep hearing that, guys, and, and I go back to Mac Jones. How many games has Mac Jones started at Alabama? I think it's the same number as Trey Lance, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, I, I don't know. I this is a uh, this is really intriguing because of his age. I mean, when he gets drafted, he's he's not going to be old enough, guys, to go into a bar and have a beer. I mean, you know, he's only going to be twenty years old, and so I, uh, that is the the question in, in my mind that these guys have to figure out. He's twenty years old. How much upside is he? Too young? Has he seen enough pictures? Has he seen enough coverages? Is, is he is he NFL ready? I mean. That's a gamble, man. I don't know. I, I, I don't want. I, I'm glad I'm not making that decision. If I'm, you know, the Giants GM or whoever, the 49ers, that, that's it, it's certainly not a sure thing. But um, he's a great athlete, though. I'll tell you, I've, I've seen a lot of athletes. I've been covering football for 30 years, and he's right there with any of them. Well, Jeff, we know that the skill set is there. He's got the toolbox. I agree with you. I don't think anybody questions his physical attributes. It's all about the experience, the level of competition, uh, the uh, the maturity, the, obviously the the processing that has to go on at the NFL level. Uh, so many of those things are more intangibles than they are physical tools. So I guess my biggest question for you is, as we continue to hear all these mock drafts that go on around the country, and so many people say, well, he might be one of the four quarterbacks in the top ten. Maybe he's one of the five quarterbacks in the top ten before the Giants pick at 11. I'd like to know from you, 
How much of a gut feel do you have based on all of the talk that you're hearing out there in North Dakota as to Lance's chances of landing in the top 10, which, of course, from the Giants' perspective is important because that would push another non-quarterback down to their slot? My gut feeling, guys, is he's probably going to be the third or fourth quarterback, and my gut feeling is next year is not going to be a good quarterback draft. So I think once the momentum gets going on quarterbacks, he's going to go sooner than later. Again, all gut feeling. I, I, I go back to, you know, you talk about all those intangibles. He plays in a pro-style offense. I mean, he goes up under center and makes audibles, and he did that. He checked all those boxes last year. His quarterback's coach is a guy named Randy Hedberg who was uh, played for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers when they were under John McKay back in the day. Randy's been around the block is my point. And he knows pro-style offense. He knows how to teach. He knows how to get these guys to understand what to look for in a defense. And, and Trey's a smart guy. He's an all-academic guy. Carson was a smart guy. I mean, Carson was a 4.0 and never got a B in his life. I'm not saying Trey is at that mental level, but he's a pretty smart guy. And, and, and he was uh, they gave him the keys of the offense last year as a redshirt freshman. I saw him a lot of times, guys. I saw him a lot of times go to the line and change the play. It was obvious he was changing the play. So, um, and he changed the play to a team that went 16-0. and Granted, it's FCS. I get that. But Joe Flacco was FCS. I mean, Bill Sims, there's guys up in – and down NFL history that have played at a lower level, but um, are, are, have been pretty good. I'm not saying Trey Lance is going to be a great NFL quarterback. I'm saying he's a great prospect right now. That's all I'm saying. Jeff, I'm glad you brought up how the offense functioned because when you look at the numbers, I think what's very interesting is he played on an offense that averaged 45 rush attempts, whereas he only attempted just under 19 pass attempts. I'm wondering the old story as you try to project how good a quarterback could be on the NFL level, was he insulated as a result of the run game? If he gets thrown into a situation where he obviously has to throw more, how can you read based on what he performed at the collegiate level based on that breakdown? That is, yeah, that is a great, great, great. I can't emphasize what a great point that is. His offensive line was, was FBS power five caliber. His left tackle is going to be, I don't know, second-round pick, Dylan Raidens. He had a, a Zach Johnson was with the Green Bay Packers practice squad this year. He was the right guard. The other three dudes are all really good offensive linemen. He went back to pass and have a ham sandwich, so to speak, and, and pick out his receivers. So I'm a little curious. There's no doubt. I'm a little curious when, when he goes back and, like Carson this year, Carson went back and he had guys in his grill, you know, every other play. It's hard to play quarterback when you're running for your life. So we don't know that question. We don't know that answer to that question, whether how Trey is going to handle being consistently pressured, and especially at that level. And I don't know how you project that other than you just have to maybe roll the dice on that, on that question. Jeff, help me out with this one. I had a veteran scout tell me that he doesn't believe that Trey has much experience throwing the complete route tree that, to be honest, his route tree is short several branches. The other thing that the scout said to me was, it's a big problem for me at the NFL level when this guy not only played at the level of comp that he played at, but I believe he only was involved in two games that were decided by a touchdown or less because there was never any pressure on him because North Dakota State at the FCS level 
is super, super dominant and never put him in a situation where he had to rally a team in the fourth quarter or come from behind in the final two minutes to win a bond burner. Yeah, just like what I said before, I, that that question is out there. I mean, he rarely got pressured when he went back to pass. You know, that, that national title game against JMU, he was he had some plays where uh, that was a difference in the game. I mean, he was the difference. He, they, he ran, like, I don't know, 20, 25 times, you know, because they had to, because they went with their dude. JMU is really good run and, and pass defense, and so they said, okay, uh, we're not going to be able to run the ball much against him, but we do have this guy named Trey Lance who, um, if you look at the tape of that game, he had a couple runs where you go, wow, okay, that's that's really special. And uh, so, yeah, I, I, that's a good point again. I, he, he hasn't been tested late, and Carson was. Carson rallied his teams several times, but Carson was only a two-year starter. Carson sat for three years behind a guy named Brock Jensen, who was the all-time wins leader in FCS as a quarterback, which was surpassed by Easton Stick. Then that's another thing. Randy Hedberg, the the quarterback's coach, this will be his third straight draft. Um, That's pretty good. I mean, Stick is still with, uh, you know, the L.A. Chargers and – and Carson, I think, well, we'll see if he has a rebound year here. He's kind of slid, but uh, this is this isn't new to us covering NDSU football. This is the third guy that's going to get drafted. It does speak volumes of the track record. There's no doubt about that. As Carson Wentz is going to be reunited also with Frank Reich in Indianapolis, so that should certainly help his cause. As we're talking to Jeff Kolpak, covers North Dakota State football. He is the beat writer for Forum Communications. I believe he's having another pro day, Jeff. Correct me if I'm wrong. Tomorrow, after he had an initial one, and from what I've heard, they're going to try to cater this to running a Shanahan-esque style offense because you figure, okay, well, the Jets are picking number two, the Niners are three, both have Shanahan connections. How much is this pro day coming up a push to get his stock up towards maybe the second or third pick or maybe try to emphasize what he wasn't able to do in the first pro day? Yeah, I believe it's Monday. It's Monday at the Fargo Dome here in Fargo, and it's closed everybody but NFL personnel. I'm understanding it's certainly not going to be the you know, the 30 teams that were here last time. I don't know about the Shanahan-esque offense stuff uh, because, I mean, this, is, this has been top quiet. I mean, nobody's saying anything. He doesn't want anybody around, so I, I just found out yesterday that going to be here um just yeah it's just going to be just nfl people I, I we don't know what's going to go on and i guess we won't be able to see it either so um i'll just have to you know i wish i had a camera inside the ndsu arena you know like a ring camera i might do that one of these days <laughs> final question about lance for me jeff how well did you get to know him i don't know what your access is especially during the pandemic situation to these players but the off-the-field stuff where, you know, so many times now we hear that a guy hurts himself because of his personality profile or his off-the-field issues. Uh, from what I understand, Lance does not have any black marks in that regard. Uh, he's got a clean profile and should be the kind of good citizen and good character player that any coach would want. Yeah, that's his track record. No, there's no doubt about that. Um, I, I, do, I know I'm okay. I mean, we have limited access. We, we, we're, we're banned from practice like all teams are these days. And um, But his mom and dad are awesome. Uh, his dad was a 
great player and had a cup of coffee with the NFL. And, and I think he was in uh, the combine at one point. His mom was a really good volleyball player. Um, his brother's coming up here next year as a, as a receiver. You know, his, his, his great-grandfather, I know, lives across the river in Moorhead. He's like just turned 100 years old, and I know Trey does stuff there with him and, and visits him, and that's a really good relationship. And I guess, I'll, you know, you find out about how guys are when you from players who are out of the program. You know, like I'll run into an ex-player and say, okay, now that you're out of the program, tell me about Trey. And everybody, the couple guys I know that have since left have said, yeah, great teammate, model teammate, uh, no, um, you know, I don't know. It's just just a good guy to be around. They're, they're, they, they, he's not big time in these other players or anything like that. Will it change in the future? I don't know. People change, but heading in, uh, his, his character is right up there with anybody. Let's jump to the other notable prospect out of North Dakota State, the man who blocked the blind side for Trey Lance over the last few years, and that, of course, is Dylan Radins. He played primarily left tackle, 32 straight starts. There is some talk, Jeff, that maybe people project him more at a guard position on the NFL level. What have you overall seen out of him in terms of the consistency he's shown when he's been lined up at left tackle? Yeah, he's, he's as good as I've seen. Billy Turner is still at the Packers. He started as a true freshman at NDSU, I don't know, eight, nine years ago now or whatever. And uh, just as good as any of those. Again, he's another good guy, too. I just like the, I like his demeanor. Uh, I like how he answers questions, and he doesn't ever show frustration to you, even after those couple losses in four years. <laughs> you know, it's, um, I, I think he's uh, – he, he's. He, I can't believe the Gophers, Minnesota Gophers, didn't sign him. That that was to me the head scratcher of all head scratchers out of high school. But he came here and, and was pretty good from the get go. Trouble free student. Um, what is he? Three oh three, six five, six six. Good feet. Um, I don't know about the guard tackle question. I, 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 he hasn't played much inside here, but you know because you put your best guy at left tackle, and um, I don't think. Uh, Trey ever had to worry about his left side. I know that. I don't know if he ever gave up a sack in the last year or two. How much do you think he was able to rely on his physical attributes against, you know, obviously, I say subpar competition because, again, North Dakota State dominates FCS football. So how much of it do you think was simply, oh, I can go out there and just do what I need to do and not necessarily develop and learn? Because I think a lot of times, Jeff, we we will see guys – and this happens in basketball, football, specifically those two sports, I think, where guys who overmatch their opponents at the collegiate level then get to the pros, and now all of a sudden it is a rude awakening when they realize that they have to learn technique. And it's not all just about overpowering a guy because you can muscle him because he's weaker than you. You now have to really understand the fine points of the game. Yeah, I think he's had pretty good coaching, though, uh, you know, his first offensive line coach, Connor Riley, is at Kansas State. And his his last offensive line coach is now at Vanderbilt. So these guys, and and he was at Rutgers, actually, so A.J. Blazik. So um, he's had pretty good coaching over the years. I don't think just going through the motions would ever be an issue with um, with that staff. I'd be shocked if that was the case. So I, I, I think he's ready 
uh, for the next level and, and ready to take on those kind of challenges. Whether he's good enough against, you know, going against NFL competition, I don't know. That's again, that, it's all projection. I mean, you're you're projecting guys at all levels. I, but I would take him. I mean, I I just like the way he plays and I like the way he, he uh, his dedication. He's he's just all he's been all in for four years. And sometimes when you just got a good guy and a good character, that, that goes a long way in a team. I mean, I, I sometimes teams, uh, you know, that old uh, the old cliche now is just uh, uh, culture, you know. <laughs> and uh, he, he's a top level culture guy, I'll tell you that. Well, the one thing I think that's notable, Jeff, on his resume is he took part in the Senior Bowl. He won the Practice Player of the Week award, so I think that says yeah, something. That. Right, especially since he was working with a completely different coaching staff. The other thing that I wanted to ask about you is uh, ask about him with respect to your knowledge is 32 straight starts at left tackle, and that came after I believe he tore his ACL 15 plays into his first college season in 2017. So, how much of a concern at all was that ACL once he was able to bounce back? I'm assuming based on the numbers, he's pretty much held through in that. Yeah, we asked him that. I'm sure his first year back every other week. You know, how's the knee? How's the knee? Uh, zero concern in my mind. I, I, yeah, it's it's he, he's had enough starts under his belt, obviously. Where uh, and a lot of times with the technology of ACLs, as we all know, you sometimes come back stronger, or oftentimes come back stronger. I, I think there would be zero concern with that with his knee. Absolutely. Let me ask you this, Jeff: Has there been any talk or any? even practice reps for Dylan at the other positions. We've talked about the possible conversion to guard. Sometimes these guys, you know, get work at center. Sometimes they get flipped to the other side. Has he had any shots at the right side of the line or, again, as a, as a potential center? Is that any part of his repertoire? I don't think so. I, I'm trying to remember back to his freshman year. And, you know, I'm still covering football guys in the spring. FCS is playing in the spring. I'm all. I'm still messed up, man. I, <laughs> football should be in the fall. I, I just. I can't. I still can't get going on this. But uh, I don't. I don't think so. I think he's always been left side, and um, and that's not to say he can't play guard. I think he's big enough, and I think he's mean enough to play guard, and I think he's mean enough to play anywhere, honestly. And, and really, that's really an attribute that it's hard to understand. Is I mean, you could be the and he is the nicest guy off the field. But man, when he gets on there, there's a he flips that switch. The coaches have told me that that uh, when he gets on the field, there's an ordinary switch to him, and and that's something I don't think he can coach. So Trey Lance and Dylan Radins, the top two prospects to watch coming out of North Dakota State for this year's draft. He is Jeff Kolpak. He covers the team for Forum Communications. Jeff will let you get back to covering the current team since yeah. the calendar <laughs> has been turned upside down. But greatly appreciate the time and the insight and look forward to talking down the road. Thanks again. Thank you, Jeff. Hey, enjoyed it. Enjoyed it, guys. Thank you. You got it. Our pleasure. Jeff Kolpak with us here on Giants.com. Big Blue Kickoff Live giving us the rundown on North Dakota State. And the one thing that he brought up, which you can't overlook, when you talk about the track record of this program, regardless, Paul, of how these players have been tested, and we know they've only played FCS schools, but this program has produced a number of quarterbacks that have been able to make it to the NFL in recent history. So I think that bodes well for Trey Lance. It's just, once again, my question that I started off with Jeff about, and he would even admit there's some questions there, it's the lack of experience. It's not so much the upside. You see his athleticism. You see his mobility. You see sure. his playmaking. 
but you just wonder 17 starts is a very small group of games. Well, look, you know where I'm coming from, the old Bill Parcells school of thought and all the different things that a quarterback has to have, the seven requirements that you want from your quarterback when he's coming out of college. And I know some people will say, well, they're outdated. The game has changed some. Yeah, but there are some core things that are still very, very critical. And one thing that I know that that many old-time scouts still value very highly on their list is how many times has the guy had to sweat in a game? How many times has he had to take the team on his shoulders and will them to a victory? How many times has he made his team better than what they were on that given day to where they stole a win? How many times did he get involved in a game where it was back and forth, seesaw, nip and tuck, high tide, low tide, and in the final two minutes, he brought the team down the field. Remember, Ernie, of course, he always said, you won't know you've got your guy until he gives you a game-winning drive in the final two minutes. Game on the line, you're behind, and he brings you down to the end zone to win it. That's something that we just don't know about Trey Lance. Look, I've said this before. These quarterbacks outside of Lawrence will all be overdrafted. There is not a first-round quarterback in this bunch outside of Trevor Lawrence. He is the only one. The rest of them, you could go mid-second round and beyond. I think Lance is probably a third-round pick in my mind. I know I'm not the only one who feels that way because I've got NFL scouts who have flat-out said it to me but are too afraid to say it publicly because they understand that people will laugh. Well, that's what's going on within the league right now. People know where this guy should be, but they also know that desperation will force teams to draft these guys high. So I'm all for it with the Giants being at 11. Let's get five quarterbacks taken before them so that only five (laughs) non-quarterbacks get taken by the time the Giants are up to pick. If you guys had to bet right now, how many quarterbacks go before the Giants, four or five? I think it's going to be four right now. I think it's going to be four, too, John, but five would certainly not surprise me, but I think it's going to be four. Yeah, I would go more towards four, but I also wouldn't be surprised if it's just three. I'm not necessarily a believer that there's going to be a big run perhaps after the first three picks. There may be some patience being preached there, and even though you can make an argument that a few of those teams could use a quarterback, I don't think anybody's in desperation zone where they have to take a quarterback. But don't you think then somebody would trade up, Lance? It's possible, yeah, but I mean, I'm only going based on... I can only at this point go based on the order right now as it's presented. Well, Lance, let me ask I, you. If I, if I give you my over-under question right now and I put the over-under on quarterbacks in the top 10 at 3.5, what would you pick? I would go under as it stands right now. A friendly bet. What do you want to friendly bet me with? Let's well, do I it. have no friendly bet. I'm just saying I would go I under. I want a friendly bet you. When it comes to drafts, I don't bet anything. It, it's not even <laughs> worth the... Lance, here's here's the issue, and if you believe what some of the really good NFL national guys are talking about, and I believe Peter King is the last one that I saw talk about this, although I'm not 100% sure it was him. I think it was. You know, everybody assumes the top three will be QBs. The question becomes at Atlanta, what are they going to do? Do they still believe in Matt Ryan, or do they take the QB at four? Now, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the, the sense is they love Kyle Pitts, and they're weighing apparently between a quarterback or Kyle Pitts. Uh, that, to me, scares me 
because I don't want to see Pitts go before the Giants, but he will. They are also taking calls on that pick, too, by the way, Paul. Okay, and that again, that, that doesn't surprise me either. So this is the problem. If they're 50-50 to take a quarterback, then you've got another handful of teams who also will pick before the Giants. And you must consider, and I don't necessarily know that any of those teams are going to take a QB, but we know there are teams behind the Giants who are dying to get up. So if you've got a 50-50 deal with Atlanta maybe taking the fourth QB, and you know you've got teams behind the Giants who are itching to move up, you've got to say over three and a half. I, I, John, I can't agree with you more on that one. Not to mention I just Denver, hope it's five. Not to mention Denver. Yeah, well, Denver is the one team I was going to say that you could argue needs a quarterback of the teams after the top three. But everybody else, I wouldn't make an argument that they need a quarterback. They could certainly use more competition if they want to view it that way, but I don't think they need a starter right now. I think they have at least somebody that they can rely on, except maybe Denver if they're not sold on Drew Locke's development, who's supposedly working with Peyton Manning this offseason and you know, obviously trying to take the next push. We'll see whether or not that comes to fruition, but Denver, you can make an argument, hey, they want to take another young guy. They want to bring competition. I could see that. Everybody else, they don't need a quarterback. Detroit's got Jared Goff. Carolina's got Darnold. Miami just drafted two of the Bengals have Burrow and the Cowboys have Dak. None of those teams need a quarterback. And Atlanta, as you mentioned, has Matt Ryan. So they don't need a quarterback. If they want to think down the road, more power to them. But if I'm Atlanta and you brought up, Paul, the point about Kyle Pitts, if you were to put Kyle Pitts with Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley, in addition to some of the depth that they have on that that's team. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's going to help Atlanta <laughs> right now in immediacy. Plus, Pitts is going to be good enough that you figure he's only going to get better. So I would still say that's good value for Atlanta if you take Kyle Pitts and you throw him right into the offense with Matt Ryan as opposed to thinking about, well, who may be Matt Ryan's successor three to four years down the road? Hey, look, if it were me and I was Atlanta, I would stick with Matt Ryan. There's no question in my mind what I would do. And, you know, I think Kyle Pitts is the second-best player in this draft. So if they can get him at four, they should. But, you know, I don't want to give Atlanta any help. Well, I wouldn't <laughs> think that you would want to give Atlanta any help. We can tell where you're coming from. Your rooting interest is obviously the more quarterbacks, the merrier. And the and Giants are feeling doubt. the same way. Yeah, without I get a doubt. It. And it would be extremely beneficial for the Giants, the more quarterbacks that are going. But, I mean, I think we could also look at it in a realistic viewpoint that I think it could swing both ways. Would I be stunned if four or five guys are taken at the quarterback position? No. Would I also be surprised if just three? No, because we just went over whether or not the needs meet the push to grab a QB. So I think you got to look at it from uh, different perspectives on that standpoint. When you get into this desperation situation where you have, you know, obviously there are teams even below the Giants and everybody talks about New England and I get that. I obviously also believe that Washington could use one. I, I know that they've got themselves a stopgap with Fitzmagic, but come on, let's get serious now. If they could get themselves a a future legit prospect at QB, you have to believe that they would look at it. Um, so in any event, here's my point, though. When you've got the desperation and thirst for a quarterback, you can never tell how much a team is going to be willing to move up. You just don't know. Sometimes they will be ridiculous like the Jets were for Sam Darnold. Oh, we got to get Sam Darnold. Let's just give away the fortune. And they did. Okay? That's what happens sometimes. They, they know probably common sense tells them that they should not do it, but they get itchy. And they believe we've got to do this. And then you get some sucker who's willing to overpay 
and then move up to draft one of these guys. So when you look at this quarterback situation and you say, well, factor in that the scouting services are all telling you the 2022 quarterback class is extremely thin, how many of those people this year are going to put that into their equation? And if they're already itchy about quarterbacks, they're going to have poison ivy when they start thinking about what's going to be available in 2022. And now all of a sudden, they get even more desperate to make a move up. I, for one, would not get too caught up in terms of next year's class because you also then don't know what's going to happen the following year. You don't know what's going to happen in free agency. You can maybe trade for a quarterback. I mean, if teams are really thinking that small-minded, I think that's where you get into very dangerous territory. Sometimes they do, Lance. Well, no, I know they do. I'm not saying that they don't. I'm just giving you my view of how I would take what you just said. The other thing is that if three quarterbacks do go off the board with the top three picks, if you make a move up, to grab a quarterback, that means that you don't see much of a differential between the four or five quarterbacks on your board, which I find very hard to believe. I find it very hard to believe that there's a team out there that if you were to take Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Mac Jones, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, you were to tell me that you don't see much of a separation between them? Well, Lance, uh, they can wait till drafted and make the trade and see who's on the board. Right. No, of course they can. But even if they make it and they wait to see, if three quarterbacks go off the board with the first three picks, and that means the fourth guy you really love if you're moving up to get him. Well, so maybe, that means you but, didn't but, see but that much Lance, of a separation. Not, maybe he's not the fourth guy on that team's board. Maybe he's the second guy on that no, team's board. No, he could board. be, right, but, right. But, but then that means that then something's way off in terms of how the NFL is viewing these guys because you got some teams that look at this kid as the guy, and then another one says, ah. well, the fourth guy on their board is the number one guy. You have now so. circled back to my statement that most of these quarterbacks are way overdrafted. Well, I, can, I think you could say that about every single year, though, Paul. There's always an urgency to grab a quarterback. No, I don't think this year no is an exception to previous there years. There is no doubt, especially in recent years, that that's just the way it is. To each their own. It's a lot of it based on how they see the kid fit into their system. There's going to be a team that's going to probably be aggressive, especially if they feel, hey, you know, this is the one guy we put him in our system. We know he's going to flourish. I think that causes people to maybe, to your point, overdraft them. But, you know, the the whole purpose of overdrafting, though, I'm sort of cautious of not utilizing that term, Paul, because how do we know somebody was overdrafted until we really see them three or four years down the road? I mean, at this point, I wouldn't make an argument anybody's overdrafted. It's all in the eye of the beholder. It's based on their scout evaluations. Uh, Yes and no. Uh, And the reason I say that, because if you're going to take that approach, then 2020 hindsight is always going to be perfect. Uh, I do think that going in, there are many people in the NFL and in the scouting community who know for a fact that these guys are not worth what they're going to be drafted at. And when you know that ahead of time, and then they're drafted way, 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 way up high, then that's not playing a Monday morning quarterback. That's, that's just simply saying, look, we know that you're giving us a Chevy and we're willing to pay Cadillac prices for it because we're desperate for it and we'll just live with the consequences. And that's the case with a lot of the folks who will draft a quarterback. They know, they know in some cases that they're taking a shot at fool's gold, but they'll do it anyway. 
973-667-1960 is the telephone number. This is Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Lance Meadow, Paul DeTito with you. A reminder, limited giant season tickets are on sale now for the 2021 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seats starting at just $100. Call 888-NYG-1925 or you can visit Giants.com slash tickets for more information. Don't miss out on your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience as well, watching Giants games and world-class concerts in 2021 as a Giants suite partner. Limited full-season locations are available, or you can place a deposit for individual games. You could call 888-NYG-1925, or you could visit Giants.com slash suites for more information. So earlier in the program, in case you're just joining us, we were talking with Jeff Kolpak about the North Dakota State prospects, specifically Trey Lance and Dylan Radins, and that got us thinking about how many quarterbacks are going to be taken, whether or not there's a great deal of separation between these QBs and so forth. But the good news for the Giants is the more activity, the more drama associated with the quarterbacks <laughs> means that somebody is eventually going to fall to them. Now, Mel Kuyper came out with his latest mock draft, which is up on Giants.com, and Mel Kuyper has Jalen Waddell, Paul, going to the Giants at number 11. So, you know, what's going to happen is you're going to see different mock drafts, which we do always around this time of the year, but the more and more you do the math, even if there's three quarterbacks taken, the Giants, I would argue, will still be in a position to have at least somewhat of a choice at number 11, and that is a good position to be in. Well, this is one of the reasons why most folks, in addition to the fact that Gettleman doesn't usually move down, believe the Giants will stay at number 11 and take the best player available because they are in a good spot where they should be in the fringe of where the elite guys are going to go. So why would you move down and move out of that spot? I think the only way you do it is if you get a really sweet offer and you feel as though, again, you go down to the Patriots at 15, that's only four spots, and you've got your heart set on, you know, one of those other guys who is not necessarily considered an elite guy. For example, if you decide that, you know, you want Slater, the, the second offensive tackle, according to some boards, who could be a guard. Uh, if you decide that, okay, Sewell is the guy who's considered elite, Slater's considered an also-ran can you get Slater at 15? Then there's logic for making that move. But I think most people believe the Giants will stand pat. And I would think that would be the wise move. You've brought up New England. New England's come up a lot in the conversation about potentially moving up. But let's not forget the fact the Patriots don't have the track record of moving up. And you could argue they've had opportunities in previous seasons thinking about Patriots successors for Tom Brady, and they pretty much stayed where they were. So this would really be completely out of character if you see New England making a significant jump. And, of course, what I mean by significant jump is if they were to go from 15 to, let's say they go to 6 or 7, that to me is a significant move for New England that we have not seen in quite some time. Well, if they're talking to the Giants, they're only going to 11. That's not nearly as significant as getting up into the top 6 or 7. Uh, but nonetheless, you are right. It is not something that Bill Belichick has done a whole lot of. In fact, I have not looked at his track record to see specifically how high has he moved, how many spots has he ever jumped in the first round. I'm sure somebody has charted that before. Uh, it's, it's just not his way. He's usually compiling picks further down 
instead of moving up. Yeah, it could be a new world, though, right? Have you could ever be. Seen them, have you ever seen them pay, spend that much in free agency before? Have not. Have so, not. Who knows? And, and if he really wants to get his hands on Mac Jones, if somehow, some way, he is slipping down and, uh, you know, he's, he starts to, to, to fall a couple of spots, look, he may decide to go higher than 11. Maybe, maybe he does decide to go up to 7 or 8 because he thinks he's got to get there to pick Mac Jones. If, if in fact, you know, him and his buddy Saban have had such conversations that he's salivating over this kid. I mean, there was some speculation that maybe they would make a move for Tua last year, and that clearly never came to fruition, and that was another guy with ties to Nick Saban. So it'll be interesting. Clearly, it's more likely that Mac Jones could go a little bit lower than Tua. So, you know, maybe that's not necessarily the ideal comparison, but if you were thinking of a year where you moved on from Tom Brady and you were thinking of grabbing somebody that for the long term could be your answer— I would have thought it would be maybe to move up to grab two, and they didn't do that. So that's why I'm a little skeptical about whether or not New England's going to be that ultra-aggressive in terms of the philosophy that they've preached. Plus, they also re-signed Cam, and the philosophy may be, hey, we'll go another year with Cam. He'll have an entire offseason to further get comfortable with the offense, considering how unconventional it was last year. We brought in better talent, as we just talked about in free agency, to surround the quarterback. So you know maybe the philosophy is not to be that urgent to move up and grab a QB. I would not be surprised if that's what New England subscribes to. Well, for what it's worth, Lance, and it's really not worth a whole lot, I do know people who believe that Mac Jones is a better prospect coming out than Tua was. I happen to be in that camp as well. So maybe he would feel the impetus to go after Jones where he didn't do it to go after Tua. And if he does fall to New England, then I could understand making that selection. I'd be a little bit surprised, and this is, I think, related to what the Niners are going to do at three. If you were to weigh Jimmy Garoppolo versus Mac Jones and the style of offense that the Niners run, I just don't know if that's a major upgrade. It's nothing against Mac Jones. I just wonder, is it really worth giving up those resources to take a quarterback that is not 10 times better than Jimmy Garoppolo? I think you also need to look at it through that lens. So that's why I'd be surprised if ultimately he's the selection. But, you know, Shanahan is a guy that thinks out of the box. I've said that many times. I also wouldn't be surprised if Kyle Shanahan doesn't take a quarterback at number three, too. I would not rule that out. He's a very outside thinker. He believes in his system. He believes in his creativity. And he doesn't necessarily look at needing a Hall of Fame quarterback to run his offense. So San Francisco's a wild card. Even though they've moved up to three, I don't think San Francisco's predictable at all in terms of what they're ultimately going to do. And they could very well shake up the draft if they don't take a quarterback. Where are we now, Lance, in terms of how many teams are expected to have new starting quarterbacks opening day of this year? We've heard all the predictions, 12, 14, 16, 18 by some people's count. Where are we now? Have you, have you studied that yet? I haven't. I haven't looked at it in a while. But Well, I haven't put together an entire total, but, I mean, we could take the time right now. If you look at the landscape, the Jets are going to have a new quarterback because Darnold's not there anymore, okay? So that's one in the okay. AFC East. Then you move to the north. Well, the, the Do- north Dolphins are going to have stable. Tua, right, because Fitzpatrick left. Well, but Tua started a little last year. So I don't. Re- do you really consider uh, yeah, that a new Fitzpatrick quarterback? Fitzpatrick started the bulk of their games. I yeah, would say I, that that's a I mean, I'll starter. give you that, but I don't really look at day. Tua as a brand-new guy. Yeah, but it's opening day. Opening day from last year to opening day All this right, year. Well, if you want to base it based on that definition, because see, to that. me, if somebody started a little last year, I don't look at that as a new quarterback. If you want to go opening day, then yes, Tua would apply to that. So I'll give you that. So All that's right, So let's two. go with that one. Let's, in so terms that's of that. Two in the East. 
Yes, two to the east, none in the north. Then the AFC South, the Colts are going to have a new quarterback. The Jaguars are going to have a new quarterback. Yeah. And that's it. I mean, we don't know what's going to happen with Deshaun Watson, but as it stands right now, he's still the quarterback. All right, so, so that gives four, us then. four? Okay, Correct. four. Four. Then the AFC West, well, the Chiefs are not changing anything. The Raiders are not. Her- Herbert didn't start week one, so you're putting him on there? But he started the bulk of last yeah, year. Yeah, he started see, a lot more games than two. Yeah, did. see, this is what I'm saying so, about so, holding right. it to just week one. Let, let, let's, let's just go with Herbert because he did start a much bigger amount of games than Tua. So let's consider Herbert a starter. I do, still don't want to consider Tua a starter, though. Okay, so Herbert is five. And then Denver right now, if Drew Locke continues to start, he started last year. So I'm not going to throw him into the mix as it stands right now. Then you go to the NFC East. The change is going to be Philadelphia if Washington wins the job in Washington. So right, that's now there. seven. Dalton. Then you go to the north. Chicago's going to have a new quarterback. Goff. The Lions are going to have a new quarterback. And that's it. So that's now nine. We then okay. move over to the south. Carolina's going to have a new quarterback. That yeah. brings us to 10. New, new Orleans. Orleans is going to have a new quarterback. That's 11. And that's it. And then we go over to the west. The Rams are going to have a new quarterback. That's 12. Right. The Niners, listen, Jimmy G's the guy right now, so I'm not changing that. Okay. And Seattle is holding steady with Russell Wilson. So the total is only 12 at this point. All right. All right. So at this point, it's still a bit under what many predictions were at this point. Absolutely. Yeah. I would say way under because I think if you were to have this conversation, and I know we hinted at it a little bit on this program, there was speculation. I mean, you could have anywhere from about 15 to 18 guys. Well, I think most of us thought the number was rather startling and eye-opening, and I don't think anybody truly wanted to believe that that number was realistic. And at this point, it's not getting there. But one never knows, right? Well, because the draft could be the true X factor, and you could get there. You could easily have three replacements if the draft picks immediately come in. And wow, everybody. So that's where you can maybe approach closer to 15 compared to where it is at 12 right well, now. Well, Watson could still be out of, out of the mix. True. And Absolutely. to be honest, none yeah. of us knew for sure that Ben was going to be back in Pittsburgh. So, well, and then Russell Wilson, the speculation Russell in Seattle Wilson, too. So, so maybe the number wasn't so far off after all. Maybe there was some rationale behind it. Anyway, I know we got phone calls coming in, so let's go. We move along here on Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live, 973-667-1960. Jason is in New Haven, and he joins us. What's happening, Jason? How you guys doing? Hi. All right. What's on your mind? All right. All right. Just a few things, and I'll try to make quick. Um, just hearing you guys talk about the draft and interviewing all these um, people from these different colleges has been great. Um, I did want to talk about the – I think for the – I think we all know for the, for this team to take the next step, um, we're going to need to find some offensive line help and a pass rush, pass, another pass rusher to, to tag with Williams. To me, those are the two biggest needs, I guess, if you want to say. Um, I'm not going to lie. Um, I know I don't know all about all these prospects. I've seen a few. I've watched a few players. Um, it is not surprising that we won't be able to land the next, you know, Michael Strahan at 11. Um, and a lot of these pass rushes um, are not dominant, I guess, as, as maybe like the Chase Young was last year. Um, what this draft is not weak in is offensive line. Um, is it as good as the top the top prospects last year in terms of Thomas and Bethan? Probably not. Um, but it's certainly not a reach if we grab one of the best three linemen at 11. Or if we take a slight trade back, even if we are thinking about trading back. Uh, I know some of you guys have said, 
nothing less than um, selection 15, um, which I think you can still get a good offensive lineman. Um, the receiver thing, I'm kind of uh, touch and go on. Um, after spending all that money on Galladay and then adding Rudolph to complement Ingram, um, along with Shepard and Slayton, who will be our two and threes, plus Ross, plus Pettis, um, to sprinkle in some more talent that hasn't been tapped on the forward teams, I fully expect that the offensive line will take huge strides. Um, but I think we we still do need um, another offensive lineman and a passer. So I kind of wanted to see what you guys thought about that. Well, I think for me, part of the deal is you have to be assertive and be totally convinced that your pick at 11 is going to be a hit. And I've said this a billion times, and I'll continue to say it right up until the draft. All of these edge rushers are boom or bust. This, this is a, a gambling lot of players. So if I'm only 65% sure that somebody like Rousseau uh, or Phillips, Phillips obviously with the injury situations and stuff, if I'm 60% sure that those guys are going to work out for whatever reason it is, then I can't take him at 11. Now, if I think it's 90% sure that one of those guys is the real deal and they're going to be really good right away, well, then I can convince myself to take one. And, and that's kind of where it stands for me. I, I would prefer my, my scouting book says don't take one of those edge rushers at 11 because there's too much boom or busk, too much risk-reward involved that I could see taking one in the second. In fact, I'll go on record right now. Carlos Boogie Basham would be my pick at 42 if he's still there because I think he's got a very high floor. I think his ceiling may not be as high as a guy like Rousseau, but Boogie Basham, his, the fact that he can play and and he can play defensive tackle, he's big, he's strong. I like the physical, big, strong frame, of the measurables, the power. I would, I would be much more comfortable taking one of the other positions in, at 11 and taking somebody like Boogie Basham at 42, who I believe has a realistic chance to be there. But that's just me. And as far okay. as your point about the wide receivers, remember, there's some question marks connected to some of the guys that were brought in. They weren't all given long-term contracts. So whoever you draft is going to be with the team longer than some of the free agents that were brought in. So I wouldn't get so consumed on volume of what they have already on the roster simply because they brought in a few free agents. Right. And I understand. I just think I was just saying that because this draft is so inundated with wide receiver help. I don't know. Now, I know Smith won the Heisman. I know Waddle is out of his for athleticism. Um, I doubt Chase is going to fall, so I won't even include him. And Pitts, I won't include him either. But those two are great talents, but there's so many other. you got Marshall from LSU. You got, I mean, you guys know the list of the receivers. I don't have to go through everybody. But um, I don't know if picking receiver at 11, so to speak, um, is really going to put our team in, in a playoff contention is kind of what I'm saying. Um, like I said, I'm kind of going towards more Parsons. I do think outside of Sertain, I think he is the best defensive prospect in this draft. Um, I don't know if he'll fall. Um, I would hope with Coach Spencer, um, a lot of those coaches have to have in-depth intel on this young man. Um, I, I, I'm not too worried about the – if they were to pick him, evidently 
whatever he did in his past when he was a kid, 18 years old, it probably wasn't that big of a deal. So I'm, I'm kind of going back towards uh, Parsons. Um, another question I had was, and I'll take it off the air, it seems to me that round two is the sweet spot for a pass rusher. Paul, I know you brought up uh, Basham, I think his name is, from Wake mm-hmm. Forest. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have the Ronnie Perkins of the world. Um, you have um, you have a lot of pass rushers that probably will be there. Osai, some of those guys. Um, if we are in round two, say we pick a receiver or O lineman at round one, um, what are some pass rusher names that you are you guys are kind of looking at? I know you said Basham. I doubt Phillips will make it to round two. I, I doubt it. But if Jalen Phillips is in round two, concussions or not. I think he'd probably be the best player on the board. Will he make Will he make it there? We don't know that right now, of course. But um, to me, um, if he drops that far, I wouldn't have a problem with kind of trading up to get him. If he drops like low mid, uh, like the low first round. Um, so I just kind of wanted to know what you guys thought about some of the pass rushes around two because I think that is a sweet spot, and uh, I'll take it off the air. Lance, I think your medical staff is going to dictate whether or not you're going to take Phillips. I don't think any GM worth his grain of salt is going to put Phillips on his index card unless his medical staff checks off on him 100%. I just just don't see it. No, I'm completely with you. I mean, anybody that has a medical history, I don't think they're a slam dunk. I think you always need to weigh the pros and cons because, remember, you're not just hoping that he flashes for the first year. You're hoping that he lasts the duration of the rookie contract. And the Giants also just passed history – have taken sometimes flyers on guys that have some injury baggage, and it hasn't necessarily worked out very well. So I don't think they need to look that far. They can look at their own history to determine whether or not it's worth taking a player with that type of baggage. I mean, as far as the second and third rounders, I mean, once again, it's very hard because you just don't know in a draft like this when there's going to be a run on individuals at that given position. Because I know a lot of people have asked online, you know, who could the Giants target in the second round or the third round? There's a lot of guys that are going to be off the board. Okay, keep in mind, you know, by the time we get into round two, and there could be some surprises that are still there. So there's players that you didn't anticipate were going to be there, and they're there, and then you say, well, the value's too good, and it may not have been a position of great need, and you say, well, the Giants should absolutely take them. I mean, I would agree with you. I think Boogie Basham is a guy that would make absolute sense in the second round, and he's been projected to go right around that territory. But, hey, does somebody love him and take him late in the first round? It's possible. Sure, it's it not is. crazy. So maybe he's not there when the Giants get ready to take. Well, I I think again round. the fact that he's probably got the highest floor of the group of edge rushers. You know, he's the most sure thing, most pro ready of any of these guys. If you put Phillips aside because of the medicals, it it's clear to me that that would be the guy. You know, uh, I don't want to say uh, I don't want to say he's a sure thing because a sure thing you take in the top ten of the draft. You take him in the top five of the draft when the guy's a sure thing. But but Basham certainly fits a lot of what the Giants would want. I'll tell you that. When you talk about a lot of these edge rushers, too, you also have to look how scheme-specific can they be. And some guys are going to fit the scheme and what you're going to do with them a lot better than other guys will. Basham just checks so many boxes for me, but not at 11. Absolutely no way does he check those boxes at 11. At least I don't think so. Uh, not for me. I don't think it would for the Giants. But at 42, he absolutely would check all the boxes. 
Well, the fact that he has position versatility, as you pointed out, I think is big, big also deal. for the sake of this scheme, too. Big deal. In terms of Patrick Graham and mixing and matching players. Size, so, power, yeah. frame, all those components weigh There's heavily in my, in my decision to go for him at 42. Now, another player, as we're talking about the edge rushers, I would go to Penn State. We were talking about Micah Parsons earlier, but Jason Oa is another guy who could go first round. He could also go high second round because he's one of those guys that has potential rawness, not a great deal of overwhelming experience. I look at him, I'm reminded a lot of JPP, not to say that he's the same player, but how JPP was very raw. He didn't play a lot of football coming out of college, and then all of a sudden, you know, really branched out with the Giants. So there's an intriguing aspect about him. The question is, if he's not a slam dunk, does a team run up to give the card in with his name on it, or are they a little bit hesitant that does he fall? So, you know, that's another guy that's sort of in the in-between range, I would say, perhaps of the first and the second round. Can I throw one other nugget in for you guys real quick? What do you got, John? I've been warming to Parsons, but what I can't get around is if you take Parsons in the first round, right? And if you really want to walk out of this draft with an offensive lineman and a pass rusher in the first two rounds, then you kind of get stuck. I You can probably find a guard in round three. You're not going to find a guy that can swing out the tackle, I don't think. And obviously, you wait till round three for a pass rusher. That gets really dicey really fast, Paul. You know how fast those guys go, go off the board. Mm-hmm. So I think, what do you think about that idea where if you go Parsons and one, you're, you're leaving yourself a little bit naked in a couple other spots that you think are really important? And again, I, I'm warming to Parsons as a player, but then you leave yourself naked at a couple spots where you wanted to add some high-quality players in the draft. Well, how do you feel about Odenabo? Do you think Odenabo can be the Robin pass rusher? We know in Minnesota when they asked him to be Batman last year, he could not fill the bill. I would not be ha- be more than willing to depend on him to be my main edge rusher. No. Well, you know, that, that's that's got to be part of the equation. If you believe you need a Robin to help out Leonard Williams, then you have to take that all into account. If you think that Odenabo, or for that matter, Zimenez, or maybe even if you think Lorenzo Carter, if you want to play him in that role, or if you want to play Ryan Anderson in that role, if you think one of those guys can be a Robin, and if you think that Leonard Williams is going to get double-digit sacks again, and if you think that Robin, you need eight sacks out of Robin, okay? You can't get four. Four's not going to do it. If he's going to be Robin, he's got to get at least eight. Do you think one of those guys can get you that? Is that a better bet? than taking one of the boomer bust guys in the draft. I would go with the former versus the latter. I think it's a better bet that one of the guys currently on your roster has a chance to get seven or eight sacks than a rookie in year one. I'm inclined to agree with you, Lance. And I do think Odenabo can be Robin. Now, you put eight sacks when he played opposite Everson Griffin and Denell Hunter, seven, eight sacks was not a stretch for him. Now, granted, do the Giants get the same production out of Leonard Williams again. You know, that's the other thing. Because, you know, we're talking about Robin. Is Batman returning, though? Well, if you give him a Robin, there's a better chance that he does. Remember, last year, he did what he did without a Robin really on the team. Absolutely. I think part of that, though, was also the Giants were very good against the run, which helped. So, you know, there were some favorable opportunities for him to get going. 
are they as strong in that department this year? Remember, you can't take statistics for granted that it just all of a sudden carries over to the following season. And does Zimenez and Carter, does their presence, even if they're rotational type of guys, do they give enough of a push with their snaps that now teams have to take notice of them? Now, all of these are wild cards, but I would bet more on somebody on the roster giving you close to that Robin production that you're wanting as opposed to somebody coming in year one out of the draft and automatically giving you that. Well, at least you have some numbers there. It's not like you're looking at one guy and saying he's got to be the Robin. I think the Giants have three or four guys who, with their maximum upside, could potentially be a Robin, which does make your odds a little better, Lance. I'm with you there. Let's head back to the lines. Rich is in Virginia, and he joins us on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Rich? Uh, good afternoon, Lance and Godfather Dottino. How are you? For all you? I'm doing great. Thank you. God bless. Hey, um, I really appreciate what you guys do for us hardcore, hardcore Giants fans. So, like, <laughs> I have a concern. I, I have a really dear friend who follows the Giants like I do daily. And, uh, we, you know, I've been following this. I listen to you guys all the time. Yeah, excellent. Really appreciate this draft coverage. Super. My concern is uh, he has, he told me yesterday, and he uses the, source, uh, uses the source that I also use quite a bit. It's on YouTube. I'm not going to mention the person that this person, who I respect a lot, was almost denigrated Slater and Sewell. And, you know, I just wanted to – I talked to John about it, but um, and I totally agree. Offensive line is definitely priority number one. But this really bothered me because everything I've read, studied, et cetera, for six months on these two kids has been terrific. But I wanted to get your thoughts. Well, what what were, without naming the name of the guy, and I appreciate if you don't want to, what were the negatives that they could not overcome for taking Sewell or Slater high in the first round? Godfather, uh, I did. I got to go back and listen to this YouTube myself, but I the answer, the short answer is I don't know. My friend just basically said, "quote He was not impressed." Unquote. Well, word of mouth really, is a dangerous thing, Rick. So I'm just I, warning I know, you. I know, I know, but I. Yeah. But, but here, this guy is like a band. We're a band of brothers, the three of us here, and my friend. So I trust this guy with really with my life. But I'm, sh- I'm just a, you know, everybody's got an opinion, and this guy comes from. He's he's an expert for, he, without going into details. John John knows, but I I I got to disagree with that unless everybody for the last six months is out to lunch. Well, let me put it to you this way. I I will tell you what I have heard in terms of negativity. None of these guys projects as a Jonathan Ogden coming right out of the box that they're going to be a lock Hall of Famer like he was or a Walter Jones. Or for that matter, we all knew that Quentin Nelson was going to be phenomenal the second that the card was put in up up in in the draft. I mean, none of these guys are, are really from the scouts who I've talked to. This isn't my evaluation. Now, I'm going to tell you, you want hearsay. I'll give you hearsay from guys who are in the business who have said to me, when you talk about lock and, and, and uh, you know, master lock top five guys, because I hate to use the phrase, but I'll say it, you could see him with a yellow jacket. No, mm-hmm. I'm not hearing that. But I am hearing we're talking decade-long starter, uh, you know, several Pro Bowls, really, really good. That's not quite, you know, Jonathan Ogden type of praise. It's really good, 
but it's not Jonathan Ogden type. But when you're 11 as opposed to 5, I think you could consider a, a, a an offensive lineman who is going to be very, very good. Does he have to be totally elite at 11? Probably not as much as he does if you're picking third. I think the other thing is with Slater, there's many that are sort of in between about whether or not he's a tackle or a guard. So I think that brings up some question marks. That's not to say he's not a good player. It's just if you don't know where you're going to play him, yeah, I'd be a little bit concerned about taking him under those circumstances. And Sewell may not even be available by the time the Giants select anyway. There's probably a very good chance that Sewell's off the board. And I don't know if the Giants would even be able to consider him. So, you know, you could talk about people maybe doubting Sewell, but realistically, especially if you're the Cincinnati Bengals and you need offensive linemen, makes sense to grab one of those guys, specifically Sewell, if he's right there for you because they need instantaneous help to uh, support Joe Burrow. And uh, appreciate the phone call, Rich. Thanks so much for joining in on the program. Real here. quick, a reminder. Lance, yeah, Sewell, go ahead. Slater, Vera Tucker, and Darasaw. Those are your four offensive linemen who people believe have legitimate mid-first-round value or potentially up if you really like one of them. Those are the four guys. And then, then there's a line of delineation. And I guess Jenkins from Oklahoma State is probably low first round by most, by most people's accounts. And those are the names you'd want to consider. I leave it at that. Well, and I think that the Giants will be within striking distance of at least three of those four names. I think at 11. I think there's a very good chance three of those four are still on the board. Probably. Yeah. Giants fans get a New York Giants checking account from Investors Bank with a Giants-branded debit card, security features, and discounts at the Giants online shop. You can earn up to $250 when you open an account at InvestorsBank.com slash Giants, member FDIC. So that is going to wrap up Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. We'll be back up and running on Wednesday as we'll continue to preview more schools in anticipation of the NFL draft. We appreciate everybody tuning in. It's part of the Giants Podcast Network. It's brought to you by Investors Bank on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. For Paul Dettino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Always stay locked to Giants.com. Have a good one.